The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. If you got Bibles, James chapter 5. I was looking back this week and thinking about since we've started LifePoint Church. I don't know if you guys know this, but we've preached through 16 books of the Bible since we've become a church. And by God's grace, today we will conclude our 17th book of the Bible and the book of James. Hey, listen, I just want to kind of give you a heads up. Uh, In in two weeks, uh, we are having a baptism service here. And if you've never been a part of a baptism service at LifePoint, let me tell you, it is unlike anything you've ever experienced. Amen? Amen. It's so great. And so listen, if, if you're someone who, who has put their faith in Jesus, someone who's decided to follow Jesus, but you never have ultimately gone public with that faith, and, and maybe this is the time for you. Maybe this is the time where God is calling you to say, hey, it's time to step forward. It's time to step in. It's time to step up to what God has done in your life and to be baptized. And so I want to encourage you at the end of service today uh, to sign up for that. In three weeks, uh, we're going to start our 18th book of the Bible going through the book of Acts, and that's going to be an incredible summer series, so you're going to want to be a a part of that. How many of you guys like to get the last word? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know you. Right, I know some of you. You love you you, you love the last words. We love last words, and so uh, today we're going to give James the last word. Does that sound all right? Uh, we're going to give James the last word because anytime you write a significant letter or give a, a significant talk or or some type of commencement speech, you always want the last word. Why? Because the last word is very important. As a kid growing up, I always wanted the last word. Anyone else? Right, whether it was with my sister or with my parents, I always wanted the last word. And so we would create things to make sure that you get the last word. Like, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you, right? We love the mic drop statements because we're always like, oh, I wish I had a mic drop statement because we know if you can have a mic drop statement, then all of a sudden you're the one who gets the last word, right? You're like, oh, I envy that. I want the last word so often. When I was a kid growing up, like, like my parents would always get mad at me. I don't know why. I was such an angel kid. Uh, but they would get mad at me and they say, Eric, not another word. How many of you are guilty of saying that? Not another word. Not another word. Right? (laughs) You always get the last word. You always whisper something. You're like, I heard that. And then the beatings come. Right? (laughs) I told you not enough. And and so we love the last word. And, And so as I'm thinking about this, we love to get the last word. But the last word is very important. And James today, he wants to give us kind of this, this commissioning. This kind of sending out in the last word of his book entitled James. And so he wants to kind of commission us into the next season of life. And you know that when you get to the next season of life, there's always a commissioning. And the most important thing is always the last word. And so if you graduate from high school or you graduate from college, there's some type of a pronouncement. And there's this commission into the next season of life. By the way, this is graduation season. How many of you guys are graduating high school, graduating kindergarten, graduating middle school, graduating college, graduating nursing. Come on, we got a graduate here. One back there. I know I went to your party yesterday. Yeah. Can we give it up for those guys? 
This is like the next season of life. And so when you go to the graduation ceremony, someone stands up, they give you a a pronouncement, and then they commission you with the last word. When you get married, you stand before the pastor, and the pastor comes up and he pronounces you, and then he commissions you with the last word. And so James' final word to us is this commissioning, this sending, this go forth in gospel ministry. And what I'm about to tell you is very, very important. And so he's going to pick up the theme that he did from last week uh, from suffering. And so look at uh, James chapter 5. We'll pick it up in verse 13. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Everyone say pray. He says, whenever you're suffering, you should pray. He says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, let him sing praise. Everyone say praise. And so what he's saying here is that when there's more suffering, there needs to be more praying. Amen? And there needs to be more praying. And most of the time, when there's more suffering, we default to more complaining, more fighting, more self-medicating. And so he says, listen, if you're suffering, because suffering is coming, it's part of life. It's part of, namely, the Christian life. And so Christianity is not absent of suffering. We just have an armor bearer that walks with us through our suffering. Amen? And so Jesus comes and he carries our burden so that when we're suffering, we can turn to him and we can pray to him. And so he says, listen, if you're suffering, pray. When the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, he starts off with two words, our Father. They come to Jesus, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name, hallowed be thy name. Let me tell you something about prayer. When you get to know God as your Father, you'll talk to him. When you understand that God is a loving, caring, giving father, you'll talk to him as father. You'll listen to him. That's how prayer works. 165 times in the gospel, Jesus refers to God as his father. And so prayer, ultimately, when Jesus wants to teach us to pray, he says, he says you need to see God as your father. You need to see God as someone who loves you, who cares for you, who wants to come with you, who wants to listen to you, and that you will listen to. And so he says, learn God as your father. When it comes to prayer, we don't simply take our, our notes from the righteous upright who stand before the crowds to give a public demonstration on what it is to prayer. Uh, We don't look at the religious righteous who simply beat their chest and look down on others and say, oh, you're doing it wrong. But rather, I think the best glimpse that we have of prayer is looking at godly dads. Looking at dads who with their kids, listen, my hope for LifePoint Church is more trucks, more beards, more belts, and more boots. Those are our love languages here. We want godly men. We need, as a church, can we just simply say, we need godly men because we want to see men stepping up and stepping in, into their duty, into their call from God to lead and to minister. And so we want to see men holding babies, right? Taking care of the children. That's a beautiful mission statement right there. 
Right? And so we want to see men stepping in, Christ-loving men who lead the church, who lead their wives, who lead their lives. That's our goal. Because why? Those are the toughest men. Those are the men that we need. And we want to see godly men around the church family because we need men to protect the family. We need men to bless the family. We need men who are tough for the family, who are tender with the family. And that is absolutely the heart of God. And so if you want to take a look at like what prayer is, look at godly men with their children. They're, they're wanting to help them and nourish them and help them and build them up and push them forward and challenge them. And so at LifePoint, we need those godly men. Amen? Listen, how many of you ladies, how many of you know we need a community of men, godly men, kids, little boys? They need to see godly men. Little girls, they need to see godly men. And so we are passionate about praying to our Father and looking to God as the man. Jesus is the man, and so that we can learn how to be godly men. And as a pastor who desires a church, who, who wants to see people come to know and treasure and trust Jesus, it all starts with us men leading our families, leading our wives, leading our kids, leading our homes, leading our church, leading our ministries, and stepping up and being the men that God's called us to be. Amen? And so, listen, my point is this. Once a child knows that their dad cares for them, that, 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 that they have the heart of the father who loves them, who's tough with them, who's tender with them, who will protect them and will bless them, prayer is simply talking to your father. Prayer is listening to your father. Who wants the best thing for you? And so, listen, if you're taking notes, just simply, this is so simple, but write this down. God doesn't need you to pray. You need you to pray. And so, so the, the, the command is, if you're suffering, it's not simply, oh, oh you, you should pray. Listen, you need to pray, particularly when you're suffering. Amen. And so God is not like handcuffed or in chains wishing that if you would just say the right prayers or quote the right things that somehow his chains would unlock and he could do something. God does what he wants to do. That's part of what makes him God. Amen? And so he's not sitting there saying, oh, I wish they would pray. Listen, we need our hearts to be hearts full of prayer, particularly when we're suffering. Jesus says, come to me when you are burdened, when you are heavy laden. I will give you less rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my burden is easy. My burden is light. That's why we pray. I remember when my son was probably five or six years old, uh, we would go on a lot of adventures. Any adventurer families out there? We just, that's, it's hiking, but we love adventures, right? We have this kind of creek behind our house that we go and we, do adventures. There was, um, when he was like six years old, there was this park that we used to go to. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, I'm sure you do. Uh, it's unforgettable. We, there's this park that we went to uh, that had like all these trails and creeks and stuff kind of around the park. And so you could go and play on the playset, but, but we would like to go to the creeks and the trails. Anyone, anyone love that kind of stuff? Like, we love that. And so uh, it was just kind of a, a, a guy's day, and, and, and we, we were going to make a day of it. And so we pack, you know, the necessities that you need as a six-year-old to go on the trail. You need, like, two water bottles, 
right? You need like three flashlights. And uh, so we got his backpack, and he started putting, you know, uh, uh, you know, pocket knife, flashlights, water bottles. We, we, we have these, like, adventure books that we love to read, remember? Like, there was all these awesome books that would, would you know, talk to us about adventures or, or uh, getting the treasure or something like that. And so we put these books in the backpack. And, and so I had an idea. I said, listen, let's, let's, um, let's take the tent we had this little pop-up tent. It wasn't like a full family tent. It was like a two-person. Like, it was this big, right? Now, let's take the tent. Let's get the sleeping bag. Let's go on an adventure. Let's throw the tent up. Let's get in there, and let's read some adventure books. Let's just make a day of it. And so we're just like, yeah, let's do that. And we load up all our stuff, and we park in the parking lot, right? And then we start hiking, right? We start going. We're in the creek. We're doing the thing. And so we finally get about a mile away from the car, and we're like, this is a great spot. Let's throw up the tent. So we throw up the tent, right? We get all the stuff. It's in the tent. And then all of a sudden, you hear the thunder. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? And it wasn't like in a distance. It was like right here, right? And so we're like, oh, it's no big deal, right? So we're just, you know, getting our stuff, and we're doing our thing. And then all of a sudden, like the light, the, 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 the sky lights up like fireworks. It's like flashing, and then the thunder gets closer, and it's right there. And then you hear the pitter-patter of the drops on the top of the tent. You know what I'm saying? Like, we just zipped this thing up, and now, like, it's starting to come down. And so all of a sudden, we kind of look at each other, and I'm like, bud, what do you think? He's like, we got to go, Dad. And I'm like, you're right. We got to go, right? Because it's like right on top of us. And so he's like throwing stuff in his bag. And I'm like rolling up the tent. And I got, I got like a tent. And then I got a sleeping bag. And then I got water bottles. He's got, you know, a backpack full of supplies, books and stuff. And we start trekking it to the car, right? We're cutting through the park. We're going through the swamp. Like we're sloshing. And the rain is just destroying us. It is coming down like you've never seen before. We are getting so drenched, so wet, and we're running. And, and all of a sudden, I look down, and he's like slowing down. I mean, he's only six years old, and I'm like running for our lives. <laughs> I'm like, I'm carrying all this stuff. And so he's got the backpack on, and so finally, I scoop him up. I got tent, I got, I got sleeping bag, I got water bottles, I got him, I got the backpack, like I got the books, and we're just going. And I remember, like, do you remember? It was just pouring on us. And I'm like, it's okay. I got you. We're going to make it. It's okay, bud. We're going to make it. And it's just, we're, we get in the car, and we just start cracking up laughing. <laughs> like, what in the world just happened? Here's, here's, here's the deal. There are things in life, especially when you're suffering, when you're anxious, when you're fearful, when you're overwhelmed, when you're uncertain, and listen, it just starts pouring on you. You've ever been there? You're like, I had this plan. It didn't go the way that I thought it was go. I mean, the storm just kind of came in from the south, and I don't know what happened. But God, who is your loving Father, wants to come into that moment with you and help you. And sometimes you need dad to carry stuff and sometimes you need dad to carry you. And and so when we're burdened, when we're suffering, we pray and we ask God and say, God, this is too big for me to handle. This is too much for me to take. I, I cannot keep up. I can't keep going. I need your help. And so when things get too heavy as kids, kids would say, Dad, can you carry this? How many of you know that? Dad, can you carry this? You ask Dad, 
Can, Dad, can you carry me? You ever been there? God, Dad, can you carry this? Sometimes it's, Dad, I need you to carry me. And here's the good thing about God. The answer is always yes. It's always yes. And so when we're suffering, he says we pray. We say, Father, I need you to carry this load with me. I need you to carry this load for me. Sometimes I need you to carry the load and me. And so suffering, he says, if you're suffering, pray. Pray to your Father. He hears you, he knows you, he wants to carry you. Why? Because the good news is that you're not an orphan. Amen? In Christ, you are a child of God. You are a son or a daughter of God. He hears you, he knows you, he's listening, he's available, he cares for you. And so we have an opportunity, particularly when we're suffering, to invite him into our situation, invite him into our suffering, invite him into our storm. And he says, if any of you are suffering, let him pray. We are to pray when we're suffering. Then he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. This is worshiping. You know what's unique is every time we get together, we do something that most people don't ever do. We sing. We sing together in public. Don't you find that kind of weird? Later on, the band's gonna come, he's gonna lead us in some songs, right? But you, you need to know something. You need to know that you are in the band. You're not the audience. It's not a concert. It's not Christian karaoke. <laughs> You're in the band. God is the audience, amen? And so we're singing praise to God because of what he's done, what he's doing, who he is. He's worthy of all praise. And so when we come into a place like this and we worship and we sing praise, it's because God is good. He is the one listening. We're not trying to entertain. We're trying to glorify God. And so listen, we're not going to give you a mic, but you're in the band. And so... God's mercy has no limits. We don't give you a mic because we have limits. <laughs> How many of you know we can't handle to mic you all? See, if we gave you a mic, we would not be cheerful anymore. We would be suffering. <laughs> it's a repetitive, cheerful suffer, cheerful suffer, right? But you're, you're part of the band, God is the audience. And unfortunately, in our modern-day Christianity, many people want to come in and worship the band rather than worship the God with the band. And so we just want to simply invite you into being joyful in the Lord and being unified with the body that says, hey, we're here because God has allowed us to be joyful in his presence. And so singing is actually kind of praying to God. It's a, it's a proclamation before God. And we're putting our voices together in one voice, one heart, rejoicing in the Lord. And so by singing and worshiping, that's how our hearts become relationally connected to God. So let me just, for a moment, let me just pick on the guys again. All right? We're talking about men. So most men 
are not very relational. Amen? Not very emotional. We have the emotional spectrum of grumpy and asleep. That's about it. If we're awake, we're grumpy. If we're not grumpy, we're probably asleep. And so most men don't have a wide emotional, wide relational spectrum. And oftentimes in church, the men don't sing because men are not very emotional and not very relational. But the way that godly men grow in their relationship, in a healthy relationship, starts with a relationship with the Father, namely by praying and singing unto the Lord. Singing unto the Lord, praying to the Lord, talking to the Lord. Most men are emotionally and relationally constipated. It's like there's a wall there. I just, I just, I just don't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I want to encourage you, just, just start. It's like, it's like physical exercise for your body, right? Once you start doing it, it feels good, right? It's like spiritually exercising your heart. And so what you need to do is we need to open up our relationship with the Father. We open up our relationship with God so that we can be relational with others. And God calls us as a church, as men, to be relational, not just religious, Most men just go through religious motions because they think that's the call of God. No, it is a relationship with God. It is a relationship with one another. So we can lead, love, pray, and praise with the people around us in order to glorify God. And let me just tell you, uh, just like uh, prayer, God doesn't need you to worship. You need you to worship. That's what you need. It's what your heart desires. You desire worship. You are made for worship. It's why when you see something awesome or something good, you have to share it with somebody. Oh, did you see that movie? It was so good. You gotta see it. Oh, did you taste that food? You gotta go to that restaurant. It was so good. You, you sing praises all the time, except to the one who actually is worthy of all praise. Because our relational and our emotional spectrum is closed off. And so God is saying, listen, sing, pray, come into a relationship with your father. Because once you know that relationship with your father, you will praise and you will pray. Some guys are like, you know, I don't just, I don't really know how to do it. That's a lie. You do know how to do it. Right? You, you turn on college game day. Right, you know the fight song and you sing it, amen? Like you get rowdy with it. Like you're in your truck, you're in your car, you're at the light, everyone can hear you, right? You're in the shower, you are singing. You know how to do it because what happens is when that football crosses the touchdown line with the guy that's wearing the same color jersey as you, you become very Pentecostal in that moment. I mean, hands up, you are waving, you're doing the end zone dance. You know how to do it. Amen? And so listen, I hear guys say, well, I sing in my heart. No, you don't. (laughs) You don't. Uh, Most important thing that we can do as men is set an environment of prayer and praise. The most important thing we can do as men is prayer and praise, to set that, to lead that. Because if men will lead in worship, the whole family will worship. Praying men, worshiping men, men who lead in spiritual things. Listen, that, that shouldn't be weird. It should be the norm. 
We want to see people come in and say, look at all these dudes, look at all these voices, look at all these leaders, look at all these people, look at all these dads, look at all these like trucks in the parking lot. It's weird. No, that's normal. That's what we want. We want to invite people that come in from a broken world into a whole family who's singing and celebrating and praising and praying. And our relationship with Jesus overcomes the problems of the world. And we need to lead in that way. So if you're suffering, pray. If you're cheerful, sing praise. Look in verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. This, this gives me the, 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 the sight of someone who can't join the fellowship, who's not here, who's somewhere else because they're sick, they're broken, something's going on in their life, and they need to call somebody to come to them. And so he says, if anyone's a sick, let him call the elders of the church and let them pray. Everyone say pray. What are we supposed to do? Pray. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith, everyone say faith. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray. Say pray. Pray for one another that you may be Healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. He says the prayer of faith. He says when we pray, particularly for healing or sickness or suffering, we are to pray a prayer of faith. That is believing that God can do and God does answer prayer. God can heal and God does answer prayer. And so the text doesn't teach that everyone that the elders pray for will be healed, but we are called to pray. Pray boldly, pray believing, pray the prayer of faith. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says that God gives gifts of healing, not the gift of healing. And so let me, let me tell you what that means. God heals when he wants God does what he wants. That's part of the component that makes him God. He chooses to say, he chooses to heal, he chooses to heal some. Our call is ultimately to pray. The emphasis of the passage is on prayer, not on healing. The emphasis is on prayer, not the anointing. We are to pray, we are to anoint, we are to ask God to heal. And so we come boldly. The main reason that they call the elders is to pray. Hey, are you sick? Let's pray. Are you hurting? Let's pray. Are you cheerful? Let's praise. Prayer is primary. Anointing and healing is secondary. Healing always accompanies prayer. Anointing accompanies the prayer. Prayer is the primary thing. The power is not in the elder. And the power is not in the oil, but rather the power is in God in whom we pray. God holds the power. So we ask God the Father to help. We anoint, uh, but it's not an automatic healing. It's not magical. It's not medical. It's not medicinal. It is an intensifier of our plea, of our ask, much like fasting. Did you know the point of fasting is the prayer? Not the absence of food. 
The, the power of the anointing is not the anointing or the oil, it's the prayer. And he says this is an intensifier so that you're, you're coming out of the normal prayer. You're coming out of what you just pray occasionally and randomly and expectantly every day. But this is a special, hey, we need some significant help in healing here. Call someone from the church, call the elders, anoint them in oil, and pray the prayer of faith. And so we're asking God, and then we wait to see if he'll heal. Can't make God do anything, but he does hear our hearts. And some, I've heard some people say, listen, if you're not healed, that just simply means you don't have enough faith. Let me just go on the record and say, that's abusive. That's not true. Well, Eric, how can you say that? Because I read the Bible. <laughs> and I see in the Bible, people are healed with no demonstrations of faith at all, yet men who live by great faith live in suffering. And so when I see that, I'm saying, listen, it's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon what you say. And it's not even dependent on your actions. And it has nothing ultimately to do with you. It's all about God and his power and his glory and his name. And he has the right to heal when he wants to heal and not heal when he does not heal. We just pray with boldness and expectation and saying, God, Father, we are here. We need you. Amen? That's how we pray. And so one thing that is a must in this passage is how we pray. We pray in the name of the Lord. That's the most important thing. We pray in the name of the Lord. The power is not in the oil, it's not in the elders, it's not even in our prayers or our ability to believe something, but our power is in God, in the name of Jesus Christ. Christ, when God answers prayers of faith, he only does so through the work of the Son, Jesus Christ. It is by his stripes that we are healed. It's only because what he did could we even be healed. It's only by his, his taking of our sin could we ever be forgiven. It's not some checklist that if you do this, 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 and this, you could be healed. If you do this, 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 and this, you could be forgiven. It's only through the work and the power of Jesus Christ. So when we come and we ask, we ask in the name of the Lord because it is only through Jesus Christ that any of our prayers are yes and amen. And so we ask, we pray in the name of Jesus, and we pray with confidence. The power is in no other name but the name of Jesus. There's no other name under heaven which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And it's why he says if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Because only Jesus can forgive sins. Only Jesus can make us clean. Only Jesus can wash us as white as snow. And so the life I live, I don't, I don't live by, by my own strength or my own wisdom or my own religious power, but now I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so listen, verse 16 says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That little line, one another, did you know it appears 56 times in the New Testament? One another. Let me give you a little insight. Christianity is centered on Jesus Christ 
And Jesus Christ, as his ambassadors, is about one another. Christianity is about one another, praying for one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, serving one another. And so the point is, is that we all sin. But if we create a religious environment rather than a relational environment, what happens is in this, rela- in this religion environment, we don't want to confess sins because we're going to be judged. Oh, I don't meet the mark. Oh, I don't meet the standard. Oh, I broke a commandment. Well, if I go into a religious duty-based, works-based righteousness, then they're going to see that I'm not whole, I'm not pure, I'm not holy, I'm not right. They're going to judge me and maybe even cast me out or not even love me. That is the death of the gospel. And so if we create this religious environment rather than a relational environment, we'll see God as a taskmaster in order to live up to some standard rather than a grace giver where we can lay down at his cross. And so we don't want to beat you down. We want to build you up. We don't want to beat you down for what you've done. We want to build you up in what Christ has done. He says it's finished. We're working and straining and striving toward honoring Christ. We don't want to pour guilt on you. We want to put grace on you. Jesus died because we've all sinned. Amen? And we confess our sin to one another. And he says when we do that, it actually could produce healing. Healing. Listen, that's that's powerful. Listen, if you confess your sin, it could produce healing. Why? Because sin causes suffering. Amen? Let me just ask you. If you're a Christian, how do you feel when you sin? Not good. You're suffering. It's It's like I'm sick to my soul. How many of you have ever said, I hate it when I do that? Like there's something that's waging war within me that's longing for for God, longing for righteousness, yet I'm still pulled and strained toward this temptation. And I hate it. I'm sick about it. And so a sinning Christian is a suffering Christian. Because God feels far away. God feels distant. You, You feel like you've run away. You've walked away. You've displeased God. And your relationship with your father is not what it should be. That's how you feel. And he says, listen, if that's you, invite a brother, invite a sister in to the fight because it is a fight. Amen? Invite them into the fight and confess your sins to one another. This is taking what's in the darkness into the light so that we can be honest about where we are or who we are or where we're struggling so that God can produce healing as we pray together. And so the question is not, are you a sinner? The question is, are you honest or dishonest about it? Are you confessing it or are you trying to conceal it? We've become master concealers, haven't we? And we are makeup artists for the soul. In a religious, self-righteous environment, we conceal it because we feel condemnation and judgment. In a grace-filled environment, we have confession and freedom. We want to be helpful, not harmful. We want to confess our sin, not conceal our sin. You know, hiding sin is like mowing over your weeds. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, this time of year, uh, there's weeds everywhere. Weeds grow faster than the grass, and so the weeds are always the first thing you see, right? And so you got weeds, you got dandelions, you got weeds, you got everything sprouting up, and you know what we do? Is we're like, get the mower, let's just mow over them. 
Let's mow over the weeds. Let's try and maintain our sin. Let's try to make sure the neighbors don't know that we actually have weeds, but there's no grass at all. Instead of taking root and saying, what's the problem? Why is it not fruit not growing in my life? Maybe you need to confess your sin and understand that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin so that you're not just simply exhausted, mowing over the weeds, trying to pretend and make everyone think that you actually have a lawn, that you're producing fruit, but really you're stagnant and, and dying inside because you decide to conceal it rather than confess it. Let me tell you something. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could manage our sin, but to kill our sin. He wants us to put our sin to death. Jesus defeated sin. Jesus defeated death in order to set us free. Which means, listen, you don't need to hide it. You don't even need to be ashamed of it. I mean, there's brokenness and there's sorrow over it because that's what the Holy Spirit does. But when we're broken over it, we don't need to just hide it or mow over it or conceal it. What you need to do is you need to crucify it. Bury your sin with Jesus. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was buried for you, for your sin. And on the third day, he rose and he invites you to rise. In the light, as he is in the light, as we walk in fellowship with one another, we are to walk in freedom. Why? Because our sin is in the light and we're not ashamed. It's dead on the cross. And so when we confess to one another, we're not just simply waiting around with a shovel to dig up your past. We're standing there with hammer and nails saying, let's kill this thing. I want to walk with you, brother. I want to help you destroy this thing, crucify this thing. Jesus went to the cross. He led the way. Let's give it to Jesus. Let's put it on the cross with Jesus. At LifePoint Church, we desire this place to be filled with godly people who are for you and not against you. People who want to help you and not hurt you. Who want to pray with you and pray for you and, and help you fight sin and suffering. People who hold you accountable and not enable you. People who want to help you crucify your sin, not celebrate your sin. Listen, we will not celebrate it with you, but we will kill it with you. This is not a place where we're just like, oh, everyone can just do whatever they want. You know, the Bible's not, not solid. We just, we just kind of ebb and flow with the wind like the dead leaves out there on the lawn. We just simply do whatever you want. No, we say, this is a sin. This is robbing you. This is the path to freedom. His name is Jesus Christ. James 5, 17. He says, pray boldly like Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain for three years and six months. It did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And so we're called and we're commissioned to be prayer warriors. We're called and commissioned to be Pray, uh, bold in our prayer and in our praise. We want to be bold in our confessions. We want to be bold when we come to Jesus Christ. And we say bold because James actually gives Elijah as the example. He says, pray like Elijah did. You're a son. You're not any different. 
He's a man, he bleeds, he's bruised, he suffers just like you do, yet he prays with boldness so you and I have the confidence that we can pray in boldness. James wants to encourage us that all of your prayers have great effect. He says the prayer of a righteous person has great power and it's working. In other words, the text does not limit powerful praying just to the miracle workers of old. But he says, you pray with boldness like Elijah. And then the final word, verse 19. My brothers, everyone say brothers. Brothers. What's interesting is that word brothers is used 15 times in the letter of James. Paul, in all of his letters, uses it eight times. James is not writing to a church specifically, but rather to Christians that are scattered because of suffering. And he says, here's my last word. My brothers. Listen to what he says. My brothers. If anyone among you, among you, my brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, everyone say truth. If anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He says, my brothers, which hear me, is, is family talk, right? He says, listen, I want to address you as my family. He calls them brothers. He says, my brothers who are in the faith, my brothers who are in Christ, if any of you brothers wanders from the truth, listen to what he says. We don't simply immediately say, oh, well, someone's wandered from the truth. He must not be a brother. Anyone who wanders from the truth, he must not be a Christian. He must not be part of the family. He must have just gone his own way, doesn't love God, doesn't honor God, stop calling yourself a Christian. But rather, James says, it's possible to be a brother and in the family and have wondered. And actually, it's very likely that at some point, as a professing Christian, we will wonder or sin, amen? And so we all wonder from the truth in two ways. One, we wonder by not believing the biblical truth, thereby sinning. Or we wonder by not obeying biblical truth, thereby sinning. And so he says brothers can wonder by not believing biblical truth of the gospel or or stepping in and believing some false doctrine that's out there. Or brothers can wonder by living in a certain way that is not in step with the gospel, like it says in Galatians 2. He says, I have to address them. They're not living in a way that's in step with the gospel. And so we can wonder by believing something that's false, not trusting God, or by living in such a way that does not line up with what we say we believe. 
And so listen, the final encouragement to us is that if we see someone wandering, like the entire book of James addresses, we should go after them. Listen, the whole book of James is about how faith works. It's about how faith looks. It's about if you are a Christian and you're in Jesus Christ, this is how your life should reflect. He says, if you profess faith and don't practice faith, it's worthless. He, he says, some of you, you're, you're hearers but not doers. Some brothers have become prideful and not humble. Some brothers have become judgment and slow to mercy. Some brothers have been quick to anger, quick to speak and slow to listen. Some brothers are seeking worldliness and not godliness. Some brothers are knowing the good that they ought to do it, but do not do it. That's the whole book of James. And we, when we see that, we are to intercede. We're to step in. Not forsake them. God doesn't forsake us. They step in and they help the brother. And he reminds them, listen, do this with grace and bring them back to the truth. How they respond to that help, how they respond will determine whether or not they're in the family. How they respond to the truth will determine whether they are truly in the faith or not. But our call is to pray. Our call is to go. Our call is to say, hey, brother, I see this in you. We need to turn back. We need to receive the truth, and we need to bear fruit. And so how they respond will determine whether they're in the family. Our call from James, our commission from God, is to do all that can be done to bring a wandering brother back. And so, the family of Christ, there are brothers who wander from the truth, and there's brothers that fight to bring them back. Throughout our life in Jesus Christ, there's times where we're wanderers and times where we're brothers that bring each other home. There's times where we are the brother and times where we are the wanderer. Times when we're the rescuers and times when we need rescue. Amen? Understand this. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the one that shepherds our hearts. Jesus is the savior. We don't save anyone. Jesus is the great rescuer. And it is only by Jesus in which, by which we must be saved. And so we are justified and saved by no one or nothing else than Jesus Christ alone. But there are times as Jesus' family that Jesus uses spirit-filled brothers to the proclamation of the truth and the gospel to bring home the wandering brother, to bring home the wandering sinner. And so sometimes God uses a sermon. Sometimes God uses prayer. Sometimes God uses a spiritual mentor in your life to help straighten you out, to bring you home. Sometimes God uses a parent, as hard as that can be. Sometimes he uses a spiritual brother, sometimes a spiritual sister, sometimes a biological brother or a biological sister and says, hey, you're wondering from the truth, come home, I wanna help bring you back, I wanna tell you the gospel again, I want you to trust and treasure Jesus for your life. And so God calls us to go to the wandering to speak truth in their lives so that maybe they would come back to Jesus. Why? 
is this the last word? Why is this the commission? I believe the reason why it's the last word is because what is at stake? And James says, it's the saving of a soul. Do you see sin? And do you see wandering from the truth a matter of life and death? Do you see your sin? And do you see what you believe as a matter of life and death? Oh, they just believe differently. Do you see wandering from the truth and wandering from obedience a matter of life and death? Do you take truth seriously? Because if you see truth as some relative abstract perspective, then you will never see sin and truth as a matter of life and death. It's just indifferent. Which means you will never take sin seriously. You'll say, oh, Jesus died, but my sin wasn't that big of a deal. Oh, it was a big deal. It's actually worse than you think. Because the wages of sin actually lead to death. As the LifePoint family, we must be about the truth of the gospel. We must be about the truth that is Jesus Christ. He says, I am the truth. And so the truth is that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's no other name under heaven in which we must receive in order to be saved. And the truth is, is that God cares about suffering. God cares about our sin. And the truth is, is that the wages of our sin deserve death. It's life and death. And James says, here's the last word for you. Take it seriously. Don't just read the words and go about your business. Do something. The family who cares about truth cares about what God cares about. And we put all of our hopes and all of our prayers and all of our efforts into helping people come back to God. Whether it's one area or an entire life, come back to God. We wanna help those who are brothers or those who are not yet brothers to become brothers by turning from their wandering to the truth of the gospel to trust and treasure Jesus for life. When we're willing to go and bring people back and have hard, truthful gospel conversations, and when we're willing to be brought back by hard, gospel, true conversations, Jesus and his people will be saved from death. This is the call, this is the commission, and it covers a multitude of sins. Why? Because we're willing to partner with God to bring the suffering, the sick, and the wandering sinner back with the gospel. And the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ is that all of our sins will be forgiven in Christ, and our soul will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
hallowed be your name. Father, may your kingdom come in this place. May your will be done in our hearts. Lord, give us this day all that we need. Give us this day your spirit so that we would be willing to do the hard things that James calls us to do, that you call us to do, oh God. Today we pray in the name of Jesus that we would be willing to pray, praise, confess our sins, help our brothers, and that you would save our souls by forgiving us all our sins. Jesus, today there is not a man or woman here that stands before you perfect, but in you, Jesus, we are made perfect. We are a new creation. And so today, oh God, would you give us the boldness to pray prayers of faith? Would you give us the courage to bring back a wandering sinner? Would you give us hearts to receive the truth of the gospel so that our souls would be saved? Today, Jesus, we look to you and only you. It is only in you that we have any hope. It is only in you that we have any righteousness. Jesus, I pray that you would make us a church that is not simply hearers but doers, that are not stagnant but steadfast, that are not hopeless but hope-filled, and that your joy that is found in you would be a testimony to your goodness and your glory to all who witness it. Oh God, we submit ourselves to you as clay. You are the potter. Form us and shape us for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen.